Well, good morning. Great to see everybody here. Great uh, for you guys that are joining us online today. Two quick things before we get started. The first is this. It's a a huge praise, uh, but also a challenge. So our children's ministry is growing. Um, Lots of kids are coming. Lots of families are coming with young kids. But the challenge that goes with that is you also need children's ministry volunteers to be able to continue uh, to allow that ministry to grow. So children's ministry uh, needs some volunteers. So if you're interested in helping in children's ministry, you can do a couple things. One, after the service, you can go down to where the kids register is when you first walk in, um, and you can talk to uh, one of the leaders there, fill out an application and talk to them, and or just find one of the leaders. So Jen Gerber, and I don't know if Yvonne's in here or not, but either way, find Jen afterwards. And if you can't find her, find Jennifer Eller. She'll, she'll get you in the right direction. But children's ministry volunteers. The other thing is, and it's uh, kind of unique how it goes along with today's message, but um, one of the things that we're real passionate about here at Life Church is to continue to help people uh, kind of find their niche, kind of figure out how it is that they fit into, you know, doing ministry in ways that uh, maybe seem to the church unorthodox, but at the same time, uh, it's something that they feel like that they can do uh, to be able to um, give back to the church and give back to uh, the community. So this video that you're going to watch is about uh, this guy named Chris, and so you'll learn a little bit about him. But Chris was going down that journey, and you'll hear in his story a little bit about um, how he came to the place where he's sitting here. He felt like the nudge of God wanted to do something, but this is kind of all he had, and uh, this is what he did with us. We want you to watch this video. One of the things we talk about, and Don has probably heard me say this a thousand times, is is that one of the greatest things for me about Christian faith is the uniqueness of God's design. Like, I think it's incredible to see how God made everybody uniquely and gave everybody these different gifts. And I've always said part of the stifling thing of church at times is, is that part of us as guys don't have a way to use our gift. Like, what do we do? You know, if you don't... If you can't sing, you know, or if you can't teach Sunday school or you can't do, sometimes you get lost. Like, you're not sure, how can I contribute, you know, if I don't, if I don't fit into any of these things. And so Don and I have talked a lot about this idea, of, you know, the uniqueness of the way that God made us. If we would just choose to use the gifting that God gave us and be able to use it for purpose, you know, and furthering his kingdom, be amazing what God could do. Chris makes these wooden flags, and I, you're going to have to explain the process because every time that I look at them, I'm still amazed by, like, the craftsmanship that went into it. In fact, Brady saw it hanging on the wall, and he's like, oh, my gosh, these things are so cool. We want to talk a little bit about, before we actually get okay. into the making of, you know, the flags and kind of the thought behind it, and then we'll also give people, like, how you can purchase them and what they can do. Let's talk a little, little bit about the backstory. What led you into this process of saying, you know what, I need to make a, I need to do something, you know, with uh, the things that I'm hearing or the ways that I'm going. And so talk a little bit about how you got to the place where making the flags was a part of it. So I've always enjoyed woodworking. It's kind of my escape. So Mm -hmm. when work gets stressful or something gets stressful, I like to go down and make sawdust and it makes me just relax and feel better. When I was at work one day, a guy came up and he goes, have you seen these? I'm like, that is really cool. It has this wave effect in it. And I thought, that looks like a real challenge. And so it's this uh, uh, Fisher, I can't remember the name of his, you can YouTube him, but he sells the plan for five bucks. And so I bought the plan and I started looking at it and I said, 
I want to do this. This looks like a real challenge. I think I could really get into this. And, you know, it's just, it's all American and it sounded good. So, yeah, I just did it one time and I just, I was talking to Don and I'm like, well, here I made one here. And then, you know, his son, Mike, married a girl from Canada. And I thought a Canadian chat felt like it would be a challenge. So I'm going to try that. And so I made them and I'm like, well, here, Mike and Stacy have a Canadian American flag, you know, and then you were talking about gifts and talents. And I thought, you know, this, this could be more, you know, than what it is right now. And how about we, we sell these things and do something with the money. And we were talking one day and we thought about, you know, Thanksgiving is always one of the most stressful times for people. And what if we just provided Thanksgiving dinners to needy families so, you know, they can have a day off and just relax and mm -hmm. just know that they can serve their families and their friends and everybody around them and not worry about it. So that's kind of where it ended up. So if you haven't seen them, these are the flags. Um, they're pretty incredible. Uh, again, like he would have to explain the whole craftsmanship on how uh, he gets it done. So uh, he made some before Christmas, but then had a lot of orders and ran out, and now he's making them again. And so he's making the flags. You can buy them at the cafe, and then he's donating uh, money back uh, to help uh, people in the community. So if you're interested in buying a flag, stop out. Um, I know they have some out there that you can buy right away. Um, if there are too many that orders, then you'll just put the orders in, and he'll bring them in, um, and you can pick them up from there. But then all the money's donated. So it's a pretty cool story, somebody trying to figure out what to do with what God uh, has in their life and what they do with their gifts uh, and a way to be able to give back. So we'd love to support what he's doing and then it can continue to support people uh, in this community. All right, so back to the series, Unshakable Faith. Uh, we started this a couple weeks ago and so I'm going to give you a brief introduction uh, because we got a lot to cover today. So the introduction of Unshakable Faith is this idea, no matter what the circumstances of life that happen to you, you, your faith won't be shaken, right? That's the idea of unshakable faith. But the reality of that is, is that if you talk to many people um, in their lives, there have been numerous times where circumstances of life have really uh, rocked their faith, right? And part of the reason was, is, is that we all go through uh, this period of time when it comes to our faith where we anchor to the wrong things, right? Where we we put our hope in things we should have never put our hope in, doesn't come through, and then when it doesn't come through, our faith kind of gets uh, messed up a little bit. And so the unshakable faith idea was to say, we need to anchor to the only thing that won't move, and that's Jesus, right? That's the only thing uh, in this life that won't move. And so you need to learn to throw your anchor to him and not let things of the world shake your faith. Now, what goes with that um, is this idea of the five faith catalysts. Now, again, I told you guys this in the first two weeks. The five faith catalyst isn't something that I came up with. It's something that I see in the lives of people. But Andy Stanley is the one who came up with these five faith catalysts, wrote a book on it. Um, but these five faith catalysts are to help us inside of our walk with Christ be a catalyst to grow our faith. And as we grow our faith, then we can continue to be used by God as our faith grows. So one of those faith catalysts that we talked about last week was practical teaching. So this whole idea that Jesus says inside of Scripture, if you want to have your faith grow, then you need to become a doer of the word. Right? And practical teaching more than, um, and we said this last week, more than you come to a message and now you understand it, but we, you come to a message, you take notes, and with those notes, you then do something with it. 
right? So the idea is, is that we shouldn't be reading scripture or listening to messages and taking notes or, and or writing things down or even just mentally taking notes without it moving us to do something in our life. So we've always said if you're reading scripture, you're in a message, you should always ask yourself two questions, right? The first question is this, what is God saying to me? Because we believe that the way that the Holy Spirit works is that messages that are given to people uh, tend to have different landing spots depending upon where you're at in your life, right? So if you're in different places in your life, the Holy Spirit is saying different things to you. No matter if the message is general, it says specific things to you. Then not only is what he's saying to you, what do you then do with it? Right? So what do you then do with the message that uh, God's given you? And what do you do with uh, the action that you need to have in your life? So we challenged you last week to say we should be doers of the word because we know, and this was kind of the backstory behind this, is that when Jesus came to, the, to his first apostles or his first disciples, he never went to them and said, believe in me. Right? He went to them and he said, follow me. He says, if you want to be a disciple of mine, follow me, which meant that, yes, they intellectually believed that he was the Messiah, but because they believed it, they followed him, right? And they did something with their faith. And last week's story was about, you know, and it's kind of at times like scary to think about this, but if you are not a doer of the word, he says, your house will be destroyed by the storm. Now, my hope was, and I said this to you last week, my hope is, is that the storm, you know, in your life happens in a way to be able to test your face so you know where you stand on this side of eternity. Because for some people, it happens on the other side of eternity, and there's nothing you can do about it. So on this side of eternity, when our faith is tested and we see possibly that our house crumbled and fell, that we can do something about it and get genuine faith, which is the idea of being a doer of the word and a follower of Christ and not just somebody who listens and does nothing, that we can be a doer of the word because we don't want to be like we read about last week that there are going to be people that are going to stand in front of Jesus and they're going to walk up there and he's, you know, they're going to tell them all the things that they supposedly were a part of and Jesus is going to be like, I don't even know who you are. And at that point of life, you don't get a second chance, right? There are no second chances uh, when it comes to that. What we're going to talk about today is something that's really near and dear to my heart. So uh, part of today is a, a personal story because it goes right along with how God um, has used my life. But we're going to talk about personal ministry. Okay, So Faith Catalyst, so practical teaching this week is about personal ministry. Now what does that look like when we talk about personal ministry? So think of it in this way. So when Jesus came to the earth, we said he was trying to do two things. One was is to give people a picture of who God was and to clear up messages, right? Like this was a message that you heard. It probably wasn't right. This is a message that you need to hear that is right. So we're going to clear that up. The other thing that he did was is he knew that he only had a short time on this earth. And he knew that he was in a very small area when he did ministry, right? So if you look at where Jesus did his ministry geographically, it was in a very small area. And he also knew that in that day and age, it wasn't going to be the message wasn't going to get spread through TV, right? And the message wasn't going to get spread through social media. So he knew the only way that the message of Jesus was going to get spread was through his disciples, right? Like that was the only way to get the message out. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and save lost people. That was his mission. So if he leaves, 
that means he better train up somebody to do his job or to do the job that he came to do. So his idea was, I got to train up this group of people, and they are plan A. And the plan A is we got to reach people and we got to tell them the message of Jesus Christ. Now, with the disciples, here's the other thing that he knew. He only had a short amount of time to do it. And in that short amount of time, he's going to have to teach and train them because it's really difficult if you think about this. Because we see the disciples and all the things that we did and we're like, man, those guys are rock stars. I mean, they went out and they spread the message to the point where they were all martyred except for John who spent his time in the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But everybody else went out and they were martyred and they did great things and so many thousands of people came to know Christ. Well, remember, these guys were rejects from the beginning, right? So the disciples that Jesus picked were rejected from the beginning because they weren't one of the elite followers in the religious community, so they went back to be fishermen, right? And Jesus went to the people who were rejected and said, I need you to change the world. And they're like, I can't even fish, Right? Like, I couldn't get it right. Like, I wasn't smart enough to be a part of the rabbi, you know, community. And I wasn't a part, you know, of, of what that was going to look like. And then I went back to fishing. And we see in the stories that even Jesus had to help them fish, you know, because they weren't that good at fishing either. And so now they're coming to the point and saying, you know what? You're going to go out and change the world. And here's where the disciples were, which was a good place to be. So take note of this. There's no way we can do it. It's impossible. So just understand this. When we start looking at this idea of personal ministry, the only way that you can be used is to be empty first and willing to be filled by Christ, right? He wants to use people that have been like, I don't know what I'm doing, but you know what? I'll go ahead and follow you. I mean, what else am I going to do? Like, that's where he was at. These people were at the place where we're fishers of men, or we're fishers, but we're going to become fishers of men, and we don't really know what you're talking about or what that means. But at the end of the day, we trust you, and because we trust you, we're going to do things that don't make sense and that we're not equipped for. Okay? So that was the disciples. That was how he worked with them in personal ministry. So he knew in three years he was going to have to figure out a way to get them from where they were to the place where they're going to go out and they're going to change the world, okay? The same concept is you, right? So when you think about personal ministry, the one thing that we need to remember that I think sometimes um, has got forgotten in the way that the church is organized today, the church in the beginning, the way Jesus set everything up was to say, we're supposed to equip people to do the ministry. The church isn't supposed to do all the ministry, you know what I mean? The idea isn't that your church is doing ministry. It is the church, right? Does that make sense? Like the church people are doing ministry. And the only reason that the organization of the church is here is to help you get it done. Right? But that kind of got messed up, right? So then it just became, well, that's really hard because you know, those people aren't trained, and it's so hard to train, and let's just take the trained small group of people, and they're going to do all the ministry, and then you just, you know, come and participate and give a little money and volunteer a little time, and we'll kind of make it all work. Well, that was completely opposite of what Jesus' plan is. Jesus' plan, A, is to say personal ministry, right? Like, you're going to go out, and you are going to do things that you're not equipped to do, right? You're going to go out, and he's going to nudge you, 
right? And then you've heard all these stories before. Like, like, I love this part, and this is why I do this with the people that I work with. I love when I go to somebody, and when we used to lead mission trips back in Adams County at the Methodist Church, we would invite people to go on these mission trips to Guatemala, and I would tell them, you know, and I would tell them, like, you got to hike to the top of the mountain, and you got to, I mean, it's a lot of hiking, and you sleep outside, and you eat dirty diapers, which is just like beans and rice, and that's all you eat, and you're like, and they're like, there's no way I can do that, and I'm like, I know, isn't it great? Like, there's no possible, you're right, like, you probably die halfway up the mountain, right? Like, all those things are probably going to happen, but isn't it cool? If you just say yes, this is what I always tell them, if you say yes, I guarantee on the other side of this trip, something will change in you. It just will. Like if you come to the place where you've realized, I can't do it on my own. And if you've ever been at this place, some of you have. If you ever got to that point where you're completely like, I can't do this anymore and God intervened, you're like, oh, like that feeling of this isn't me and this is all him. And when I took a step of faith and did something, he came in and did something for me. Like it completely changes people. But until you get to the place, and this is what I'm going to challenge you with, and we're going to see this in the story here in a little bit. Until you get to the place where, first of all, you're nudged by God to do something through you that you're not equipped to do, you're going to have a hard time experiencing faith. So that, that's going to be the challenge. As we look today and when we look at the story today, that's going to be the challenge uh, that you're going to have as we look at this. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 14. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. So in this story, again, keep this in your mind. Jesus is always teaching with this thought in mind. I'm going to be gone pretty soon. I need somebody to take over. I'm going to be gone pretty soon. I need somebody to take over. The world needs to be changed. Somebody's got to be prepared. And so Jesus would put his disciples in these situations to be able to test their faith, right? He would put them, that's, you know how we're talking about the whole faith catalyst idea, the five faith catalysts is to put you in situations that will stretch or test your faith and so that you can figure out that it's not me but it's God and you can allow him to work. Well, that's the same situation that he's putting them in and he's teaching them through these stories to say, one, let me teach you how it works and two, let's see how your faith is, right? Let's get to this place where we decide how is your faith. And so in Matthew Uh, 14. Here's what he talks about, starting in verse 13. He says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, in this, I think it's interesting that Jesus puts this as a part of the story um, that he's getting ready to tell to teach his disciples, because what happened previously was his good friend, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. Now, I want you to, like, if you don't know the story, let me make sure I put this into context. So John the Baptist, the precursor to Jesus, right? The person coming and saying, Jesus is coming and you need to be prepared and had a great influence in ministry, right? All of a sudden gets put in jail. And when he gets put in jail, you know, he gets put in, in, in this prison where, um, you know, he, he, for saying things that he really shouldn't say, you know, in, in their minds, but in, you know, his mind, it made sense. So he does that. Well, then all of a sudden, the Herod at the time decides that he's going to have his daughter come out and dance in front of his friends. And so his daughter comes out and dances in front of his friends. And the dance was so seductive that he's like, 
holy cow, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And so her mom wanted John the Baptist's head on a meat platter. So he goes, John the Baptist is beheaded, taken out on a meat platter. Now, and some of you have been in situations in life, where is God in all of this? How does that make any sense in the world that a guy that was doing ministry can all of a sudden be beheaded in a prison because some girl does a dance? Where was God? Right? And I want you to see this because in the midst of doing personal ministry, what Jesus was saying, he withdrew because at this time he was like, you know what? The physical part of even though he was God, the physical part of him was still like, I'm sad and it doesn't make sense. And he's saying to all of us, I want you to know in this life, if you choose to take a risk and you choose to step out and you choose to believe in a God that will help you change the world, you also come to the place where that same God will make no sense in your life. You also come to a place where the circumstances of life will make no sense. But listen to how he responds. So he withdraws, right? He goes away into a, uh, into a place to be alone, to, to think through the sadness of what just happened, his, you know, and try to make sense out of everything. Then he gets to the place where he says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he was annoyed. He was busy. He was sad. Was he any of those things? What did he have? Is it still up there? He had compassion. In the midst of life not making sense, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Because you know what's going to happen to the disciples coming up after Jesus leaves and they go out and do ministry? You know what's going to happen? What do you think? What's the guess? Life's not going to make sense. Things are going to happen that doesn't add up. But there are going to be still people that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Right? And so he's teaching them in this that when the people come, even in the midst of my, you know, it's hard to think through. And I don't know if this is the right terminology. The crisis. Like Jesus is kind of like, this doesn't make sense. I don't like the situation. But when people are there and they need me, regardless of what's going on in my life, I will have compassion on them. And he healed they're sick. So this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Life is unfair. It doesn't make a lot of sense at time. But at the end of the day, while you're on this earth, I have a mission for you. And that mission is to reach people even in the midst of, of times where ministry doesn't make sense and life is hard. And I think for all of us, like, if you've never went through this, I think this is a lesson for you, right? Know that there are going to be times in your life you know, regardless of where your faith is, where you're going to look at the things that are going on around you and they're not going to add up and you're going to want to withdraw to a place and isolate to a place where you're like, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Everything was going good. Now it's not going good. Everything had a plan, now the plan doesn't make sense. And you're going to want to withdraw, and you're going to get to this place. And, and I'm going to tell you, you need to fight against the feeling of withdrawing away because he's pre-warning you like it's coming, 
and you need to know it. But in the midst of this, he still wants you to do ministry with people and to be able to love on people. Then he starts to tell the story, which I love the story. And this is really uh, something that has had a significant impact uh, on my life. So he says, as evening approached, disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, (laughs) maybe hard to understand this. You know, there wasn't any delivery system coming to the mountain that day, right? Like you didn't get a call in the order for 75 pizzas to show up on the side of the hill so that everybody could eat right? There wasn't everybody called DoorDash and McDonald's and Wendy's and everybody's going to come flying in and feed all the people on the side of the hill. That wasn't happening. If you were there and you were on the side in this remote place, you got the food that was there. Like that's all you were going to do. And the reality, if he'd been teaching, this is what the scripture tells us, he'd been teaching all day, the chances of there being enough food to feed five to 10,000 people are slim to none. So when Jesus says to his disciples, like this idea that uh, you need to feed them, he already knew something. What did he know? It was impossible, right? Jesus already knew the situation that he was getting ready to put his disciples in was completely impossible, but did he still ask them to do it? Is this message boring? <laughs> did, he ask, what did, he, did he still ask them to do it? Yes, why? Yes, absolutely. To get you to the end of yourself. Because normally in your life, you will only surround yourself or set yourself up with things that you can accomplish or do. That's human nature, right? Human nature is, I'll do it if I'm prepared. I'll do it if I'm ready. I'll do it if the situation is right. Jesus is saying, the situation is never going to be right. And if you're going to do anything that's going to change the world, it's always going to be impossible with you, right? And he's making room for all of us as Christian people to understand a fact that I think that we've forgotten. You can't change the world. You are an instrument to be used to change the world. Jesus Christ is the one who changed the world. You don't have what it takes. You don't have enough. It is impossible. So all of those things that we're thinking of in our lives, these personal ministry things, we look at them like, oh, they're way too big and they're impossible. I know, right? Like that's what he's trying to get you to and where he has his disciples. And this was that point where I was saying earlier, this is really a test. What are you going to do? Like, how are you going to land when Jesus puts an impossible situation in front of you? And he says, this is what I want you to do. Are you going to run away from it? Are you going to engage with it? Are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to trust Jesus with this? But this was a, a big turning point for the disciples, right? And for you, just so you know, Jesus has these moments set up for your life where you're going to come to a crossroad. And you're going to come to this place, and Jesus is going to put an impossible situation. And I've seen people do this hundreds of times. They've come up against impossible, and they've decided to go with what's possible and not what's impossible. And I always say, wow, I wonder what God would have done. 
You ever think that? You ever think, like, if you would have ever just taken that step into it, what God would have done on the other side of it? Because I've seen so many people play it safe, unfortunately. I've seen so many people look at situations and say, I'm just going to take the safe road. I'm going to take the easy road because this all makes sense. And, and if logically, right, like if you sit down and you talk to somebody and you explain your situation logically, what do you think the advice that you're going to get? Don't do it. Right, because most people live in a very logical world, like it's got to all make sense, and it's all got to fit inside of the budget, and it's all got to make sure that we're all trained and prepared and ready to get it done. And Jesus is just saying, listen, if you want to see impossibilities become possibilities, you have to get to the end of yourself. That's just the way that it works. You have to get to the end of yourself if you're going to be able to do that. So he knew that it was an impossible situation. So then what he says next uh, in verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So here's the, the next thing that happens. So then they look around, they're like, okay, he wants us to feed him. So let's look at what the problem is. So some kid uh, comes up with his lunchbox. And inside of his lunchbox is some fish and some bread. Well, obviously, when they look at this situation and they pull this up, they're like, okay, there's no way that this is ever going to happen. But at least I'll just make sure that you're aware, Jesus. Like, here's my limitations. Have you ever done that? Right? Like, have you ever got to the place, like, here's your lunchbox? <laughs> so you got to the place in life where, you know, God wanted to... Uh, do something great. And so when he went to do something great, you did the same thing that the disciples did. Let me tell you about my limitations. Let me tell you about why I can't do this. Because I think they were kind of humoring Jesus, like you said, feed to 5,000, like, okay. But let me tell you reality, Jesus. Do you want to see reality? Here's reality. Right? Here's all that we have, and there's no possible way, if you look at this, Jesus, that we could ever be able to get it done. But what Jesus does next, okay? So if the whole first part of the message was like, didn't make any sense, tune back in because this, what you're going to hear next, can change the entire world. Okay? Once you understand the concept of what Jesus was going to teach next, to his disciples and how he told them to function through this, essentially gave the disciples the tools that they needed to be able to go out and change the world. And I think for you, if you can understand this concept, it'll be the same thing. Here's what he says. First, in verse 18, he says, bring them here to me. That's what he said first. Bring them here to me. Now, every follower of Jesus Christ goes down this same line, okay? So he's inviting you into the process, right? So he's saying, bring them here to me. Now, the only way that this makes sense is, so I'm just going to use this whole illustration to hopefully get you uh, on the same page, but in this, this is what Jesus is teaching. For every believer, I hope, there's something that breaks your heart. There's something that breaks your heart. Because it, and I want to be careful when I say this, but if there isn't something that breaks your heart right now, I'm like, what world are you living in? 
Because you're choosing to do one of two things. If you don't have something that breaks your heart, then you're either, you're either closing your eyes to the reality that's going on in the world today and surrounding yourself in a bubble where everything's okay and you try to keep that bubble the same so that everything is okay, and you're living inside of a false reality, and or you have not taken seriously the call that Jesus Christ has on your life. You know what the call is on your life? To change the world. You know what the call is on your life? Feed the hungry, go to the jails, clothe the naked. I mean, we could go on. You know what the list is? So if you went through this list and you walked around this community or whatever community you live in, or if you went anywhere else in the world, you're going to see things that are going to break your heart, right? But what Jesus says to them, right, is don't be overwhelmed. Don't get to the place where, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to check out with all this. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Because here's what he's saying. If you ever want to do anything big in the world, Jesus is going to tell you this. There's his part and your part. Nothing big will happen in this world if you're not going to participate. You can't ask God to change global hunger if you don't want to be a part of global hunger. You can't ask God to make it so sex trafficking isn't going to happen in the world unless you're going to be a part of it. You can't say, I want drug addiction to change in my community if you don't have anything to do with it. You can't say, I want, you know, our youth to change a generation of people and not be a part of it. Like, you can't just have these hopes and then on the other end of it say, God, I'm praying that you're going to change the world. Now, I'm not participating But you're God, right? Like, you do it, I'll pray about it, I'm not going to participate in it. He's saying, listen, nothing like that ever happens. If you want something big to happen, there's your part, bring them to me, and I'll do my part. And when then those two things go together, or this makes sense? Like, when those two things go together, Jesus can then be Jesus, and he can do miracles, but if you never bring them to him or participate with him inside of that, you're never going to see it. Because just hoping and praying that things will change, but doing nothing about it is nothing more than hoping and praying. Right? He's saying you need to participate inside of that. So how do we participate? Well, this is what he says. Verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Now, if you've heard this story before, like, this might be hard for you to to put into a a picture. But when this miracle happened, um, Jesus didn't, like, make this huge... uh, uh, mound of bread and fish, and then they just came up. So he, here's the basket. You know what's in this? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Actually, I have a cookie from the cafe <laughs> and some decorations that Sherry had in my office. So, But the idea is that's all that's in here, right? And so here's what he says. So just think about this. If you were a disciple, what did he tell his disciples to do? Go out and. <laughs> so you know what happened when they went up and grabbed that and left? There wasn't anything there when they left. You know what he said? I don't know if I'm, am I allowed to do this, Michelle? Am I allowed to walk off the stage? You're walking out here getting ready 
thought process is, I might be embarrassed because you know what's going to happen? I give them away. I don't know that there's going to be any more fish left when I go back. You know what the step of faith is? But that's not my job. My job wasn't to figure out whether there was going to be fish in that basket. My job was just to do what I can do, and I'm good at this. <laughs> okay, I'll grab another one, right? Tim, you look like you need a cookie. <laughs> like, I can do this, right? I don't know how to make fish, and I paid for that, so you can eat it. Like, I don't know how to make it multiply. Like, I don't know how to make that go into, you know, and keep doing it. But I can do this. I can keep doing what he asked me to do. Here's the fish. Here's the loaves. Here's the fish. Here's the loaves. When I finally settled this in my heart, this changed everything for me. I don't have to worry about this. All I have to do is what I know I can do. And when I do what only I can do, then you know what Jesus does? He keeps filling the basket. And the fish keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming. But you know what would happen if they never went out and took the fish? You know what would have stayed in there? The same amount. Because it only multiply what he can use through you, right? And if you're unwilling to take steps into, and here's the hard part about this, and, and uh, <laughs> I got to be careful when I say this too, but you know what the struggle is a lot of times for people doing this? It's because other Christian people discourage them. Like, you know what? You take a step out and you go out there and, you, and, and, and you're, you're doing something and somebody's like, wow, you know, you, that you're good at this part, but you're really bad at this part. And I'm like, I know. He didn't ask me to do that part. I'm just doing this part. You're right. I'm a terrible organizationist. I'm terrible at getting back with people. But you know what I can do? I can love your kids. Like, I know, just keep telling me. I get it. <laughs> I'm hoping Jesus does something with that. Because all I know for today, maybe I need to get better and better organized and better people surrounding. Maybe I need to do all those things. But for today, it's not going to keep me from saying, here's your fish. Here's your fish. Here's what I can do for today. This is what I'm going to do. And let's let the rest of it kind of, you know, fall into place from there. Then he ends it with, then they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate that day were 5,000 men besides women and children. Not only did they feed them, there was stuff left. Now, I want to tell you why this is personal to me. Why this message fits a normal hillbilly like me, right? This is why. Because this has been my entire life. It has been my entire life. I give my life to Jesus Christ when I'm 20-some years old. I hear God saying, I want you to be in full-time ministry. You know what broke my heart at that time? Kids that had youth pastors that stayed like two or three years and then went on to something else, and kids were devastated because of the relationship piece that they couldn't build. They built it, they trusted, and then all of a sudden the youth pastor left. So I, I didn't know how to lead kids. I had never done youth ministry. But what broke my heart was kids that weren't being ministered to and they were leaving. So I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to bring them to you, right? And you know what's in here? Not much. 
and people reminded me of that. Most of the times when I stepped into youth ministry, people would remind me like, you know, you're not doing and you're not doing, you're not doing. Like, I know, I know, I know. But this is what I have and I'm going to give Jesus everything that I have. So I'm just going to keep doing and giving him what I have. So it starts with what breaks your heart, right? So what broke my heart was young people not having you know, a person in their life. When I evaluated myself, I had this understanding. There's not much in this basket, but thankfully Jesus is in control of this anyway, right? So that taught me something. Well, then we got to the place where we came to start a church, okay? So when we came to plant Life Church, so a lot of you like look at it today and be like, wow, it's somewhat working, you know, people are coming and, you know, but in the beginning, understand this. So I went from being a youth pastor and a mechanic I had only preached at Life Church one time, right, before they said you're going to go over and you're going to plant a church. I had no background of leading a church, and I was reminded by other pastors in this community that I also didn't have a theological degree, right, like all of those things. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to plant a church. Why? Because you know what my heart broke for? Churches that were ineffective and didn't care about other people. It broke my heart. I'm like, I have no idea how I would create a bunch of these country clubs where everybody just gets together and they all like each other, but they don't care about anybody else. So it breaks my heart. So I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to plant a church. Do you know how to plant a church? Nope. Do you know how to lead people? Nope. Do you know how to preach? Nope. <laughs> but you know what I do do? I love people. I love people. And I love the Lord. I, tell, I talk about this in Discover Life all the time. Like, I don't know. I still don't know what I'm doing. But I will tell you this. The one thing that you'll never question is my devotion and love for Jesus Christ and my love for people. Like, there's a lot of other things you could nitpick away at and go ahead because you're right. Right? Like, there's a lot of other things that I'm not that good at. But you know what? I'm okay with that because I'm just giving him what's in here. Whatever's in this basket, I'm just going to give him, and I'm going to keep living that way. And on the other side of that, what I've seen from God is I don't have to have it all right. I don't have to be fully prepared. I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to have all the degrees. I don't have to have all the money. I don't have to have all the expertise. All you have to do is say, here's my basket. Same concept when it came to um, adopting kids. So Sherry and I were like, we want to adopt kids. So we went through and we were going to adopt globally. And, uh, you know, in the midst of adopting globally, we were like, that's a lot of money. And there ain't very much in this little thing. Right? So we're like, oh, impossible. But we kept going down that road. But then it got shut off. We couldn't do it. So then we decided we're going to be foster parents and we're going to do foster adopt. Then we went to the foster parent classes. And I'm like, I'm really not prepared. Like, have you ever been through some of those classes? You're like, I'm, there's no way I could barely raise my own kids. And people reminded me of that too. You know, like, you know, you know. And I'm like, I know, but God's put this. What breaks my heart is children today. What breaks my heart is there are girls that will walk down the aisle without a father because they aged out of the foster care system. You know what breaks my heart? sons that are trying to fix their houses and don't know what to do and can't call a dad. 
That breaks my heart. And it's happening every day, right? And I don't know how to fix it. But Sherry and I just said, we had a little extra room in the house and we want to do it. So we're going to go. And we went through the classes and then God had a whole nother plan. Like we really didn't have enough room in the house because we took in a sibling group of five people, right? And the impossibilities of trying to figure that out was like, it's impossible. They don't fit. We don't have enough money, right? We're not equipped to be able to do it. But you know what? Both Sherry and I would say this. But we love Jesus, and we love kids, and it breaks our heart. And so, God, I don't know what you want to do, but I'm just going to give you what I have. And I say this to you, the the worship team's going to come back. I say this to you because, not to highlight, you know, my story, but to tell you this. If you're at a place right now that you've come to like something's pricked your heart, like God put something on your heart and you're out this place where you're like, I'm not prepared. I can't do it. And so you've been sitting on the sidelines waiting until you're going to get prepared. I'm telling you today, today, can you just give him what you have? Can you just say, you know what? I don't know. This is what I have. This breaks my heart. I'm not prepared, but Jesus, I will do what you asked me to do. I can. Just use this as an example. I can build a flag and give away the money. Right? I can build a flag and give away. Don't try to make this complicated, right? Don't try to make this like, what's this huge ministry that God's trying to, you know, prick in my heart with? It was this guy, Chris, said, you know what? There's a need for food for people in Huntington, or, and I want to give back to the community. And, you know, I, I don't know how I can keep up and how I can get it all done or whether people even buy them, but I'm just going to give him what I have. This is what I have. What is that for you today? Ask yourself this question because this is the first one that I want you to process. Is there anything breaking your heart? So today, when you look out of the perspective of the people that are around you or the things that are around you or what's happening inside of the world, is there anything that's like, oh, I got to do something about that. I don't know what, right? I don't know what's going on or what I'm going to be able to do or what I'm going to offer, but this is breaking my heart. And then will you too, like the disciples, will you first just bring them to him? Will you first acknowledge that we're not God and that he is? Will we first acknowledge that the first step in making this right is to bring him to the one that can change them? And then will you just hand the fish out? Just do what you're called to do. Just do what only you can do because when you do, this is what you're going to see. Because you realize this, right? Your plan A. If you want the world changed, if you want things to be different, it's going to be different because of you. It's going to be different because you chose to do what only you can do. Please don't live a life where you've come to the crossroads, you can say, I'm going to play it safe, I'm going to play it safe, because you're missing the things that God wants to do. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but you are missing 
from a faith journey the things that God wants to do in your life. And I just want to speak from experience. There's nothing like being on the other side of that faith where you just started handing out fish and God started to multiply and you're handing out fish and God started to multiply and you're thinking all of a sudden, because this is what I believe. There is nothing that is impossible in my life when God is with me. Nothing. There's nothing that I look at in my life today as an impossibility because this is what I believe. He's with me. And that I can have comfort in this. I can just be me and let God do his part. And when those two things come together, nothing is impossible. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, Lord, we, um, we first of all ask you to open up our hearts and our minds to see the world through the eyes and through uh, the vision that you see. Because there are a lot of things in this world that break our heart. There are a lot of things in this world that, um, yeah, they're just disheartening. Lord, bring those things to us. And Lord, let us be like the disciples. They seem like impossible situations. But also, like the disciples, may we be the people that would say, I'm going to take this, I'm going to bring it to you. And then by bringing it to you, I'm going to do my part. And then you're going to multiply those efforts. May we be a people through personal ministry that God uses us to change the world. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
and friend forever his kingdom come so don't let your heart be troubled hold your head up i don't fear no evil fix your eyes on this one truth god is madly in love with you so take courage hold on strong remember where hell comes from Sing this out. Swing wide, all you heavens. Let the praise go up as the walls come down. All creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. All his children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. And swing wide, all you heavens. Let the praise go up as the walls come down. All creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. All his children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. Swing wide, and swing wide. All you heavens, let the praise go up as the walls come down. All creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. All his children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus.
So as you go out this week, a great reminder as we sing that song, remember where your help comes from, right? And if we can keep that in mind and we can do our part and remember that he will always do his part in the midst of that, God can use us to change the world. So thanks for being here with us this week. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys again next week.